This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate, King of Gate Wrap-Up Edition. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated Open the Voice Gate RSS feed on every podcast platform and application applicable. We're on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. And I'm joined, as always, by Case Lowe. In Case, we've gone from 24 to 12 to 6 to 4 but now we are left now with who is the king of gate 2020. And somehow all of our conversations talked me out of who I thought was going to win it all along. Case, how are you doing? Well, I'm fine. I mean, we do are, we are living in a reality, which is complicated and confusing. And Ata being the king of gate champion only makes life harder to understand. Now, I don't think, Ata is a bad wrestler. I actually, contrary to popular belief, I actually like Ata. Was I a fan of him winning this tournament? Not exactly, Mike. I would like to apologize to you for talking you out of this. Um, I know now that Vegas is opening up, you are looking to gamble away your feelings and gamble away your pain. And I, I believe you lost a ton of money on the King of Gate finals, which again, my bad. I will be Venmoing you just, you know, to keep a roof over your head. But yeah, Atos is our 2020 King of Gate champion after an exhausting tournament that at times felt brutal to watch, at times was very fun to watch. I leave this tournament feeling hopeful for the future of the company. But Ata's a top, Ata is atop the company, and that is just something that I, I, I am having trouble wrapping my head around. Well, let me, let me go through what my thought process was originally with Ata winning this. I assumed that there was not going to be a Kobe world, and I thought that Ata was someone they've been positioning so much, and his perception is so different from how he's positioned that this could be the thing to get him over that hurdle. So I see that happening there. I came into this, like I think last week's show, I went fully behind Yamato because I thought that all right, Yamato could be the one, and that's like a good, solid thing to do, and especially if they have a Kobe world, then Yamato versus Doi is your biggest match, in theory. But yeah, so this was a very exhausting period of four weeks. A lot of interesting stories came out of here, and I think the idea of Ada destroying every member of the Triangle Gate team, champion team, and then defeating the uh, company ace in Yamato, and defeating the leader of the Toriumon army and open the Dreamgate champion. 
I don't know like how else you could further like propel this guy and try to change his perception over the period of one tournament. Like this is I I don't want to say this is like Kinky Horiguchi and the night where the uh backslide from heaven took over the world, but this is something that for a while King of Gate has been so predictable and it's like table setting. But this time I feel like that they try to do something. It'll be interesting to see when crowds come back and we have every belief to believe that crowds are coming back relatively soon for Dragon Gate, that we'll see if this really did its job. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the Horiguchi thing, like you said, for a number of reasons. I mean, Ato will not be able to coast, for lack of a better term, on this King of Gate victory for the rest of his career, because with the exception of Horiguchi's heel turn in the late 2000s and early 2010s, I mean, Horiguchi has a character that is defined off of April 22nd, 2003. So it's not, it's not that, but, and I went into this in the June 7th, night 10 King of Gate review over at voices of wrestling.com because there was only one match to review. I gave a brief history on the King of Gate tournament um, and really broke down the last few winners of the tournament, because if you look at the history of King of Gate, which begins in 2005, it's been very successful for a lot of those winners. Ryo Saito in 2005, he, you know, this is when King of Gate was at the end of the year. He won the tournament, wins the Dream Gate in early 2006. Naruki Doi did the same thing in 2008. Masato Yoshino in both 2015 and 2018 won King of Gate and then went on to win the Dream Gate. Yamato did that in 2016. And Ben K, obviously, last year went undefeated uh, en route to defeating Pac at Kobe World. Whether the future holds the same fate for Eita or not is yet to be decided. Judging from the translations after the match, which I know Mike has are we even getting another Ata versus Doi match? Like, I am so confused as to the direction of specifically the main event scene now. So, Mike, do you want to read those translations and then we can maybe speculate on where things go from here? Sure. So, these were from Jay on Twitter at DG underscore Jay. As there was a lot of stuff that happened post-match, he provided some translations of basically what happened Basically, after he got the uh, trophy, which was first time in a long time they've actually had a trophy for anything related to Dragon Gate. You know, like, that's something coming back. I like that. And tearing up the victory sign. He then tried to take the Dream Gate since he beat the champion. And as King of Gate winner is called the... I I forget the citation that they had on the screen all throughout. I think it was to decide Dragon Gate number one championship is what King of Gate was called this year. He argued that he was the top guy in the company now. And that means that it's higher than the Dreamgate and that he should just take it. Doi said that he tapped the match, tapped in the middle of the ring. Uh, he won, Ada, of course, won with the El Numero Uno. And he accepted the shame, so he think that since you defeated him, that Ada deserves a title match. Ada said that losing in the finals is the exact same as losing in the first round. Either way, you're a loser. Just hand over the title. That's when Takuyuki Yagi interjected and said... That if you want a title match, he has to challenge for it, and he'll gladly make the match. Ada then tosses down Yagi, calls the whole thing bullshit. He's already proved that he's the strongest, and he's going to do whatever he wants, however he wants. And he wonders if when Yoshino's going to retire. Maybe if Yoshino retires now, he'll give Doi the privilege of defending against him. And then he walked out. He did not take the trophy from backstage, but then he, him and R.E.D. left the ring as Ada left, put his mark 
on the end of Kobe, uh, not Kobe World, of King of Gate. So, Mike, where does that leave us? What do you think is next? Are we getting that Ata versus Doi rematch at some version of a Kobe World? Is Ata versus Yoshino now the planned direction? Where do you think things are going from here? Well, I'm of two minds, as I'm often am with Ada. <laughs> but uh, I look at this two ways. There's the Doi, there's the traditional Royal Road championship road that they do that you go get your title match. So he would face Doi. That's not always been the case with the Dreamgate, and that's not always been the case with what would be Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival, but that's traditionally what's been done, especially more so in modern times. Or only one person's going to have Masato Yoshino's last match. And I've said that like, if someone could really get something out of being the person who retires Yoshino, Ada's probably the person who can get the most out of it. And that's certainly been the focus of his year so far, and since that announcement happened. So I'm really of two minds. Like I do think that Ada's never had a Dreamgate title match. He would be, this would be the first time he receives a dream key. And that was always something that I feel like hurt his perception. So having the title match, even if he loses, I don't know if that really hurts him. Especially if it's going to be like in some sort of a Kobe world or without a Kobe world. Like if it's just going to be a match at Sambo Hall next month. I think that that's still accomplishing the thing there. And it gets into how much stock the fans put into winning King of Gate. Him versus Yoshino has been such an overriding point that I don't think he simply gives that away. He's someone that has been embroiled in these long blood feuds that I'm now more so than ever think that the final match for Masato Yoshino, if it's not going to be like a good feeling, it's like six man or eight man tag has to be against Ada. So yes, I, well, uh, there's, there's two things here. First of all, the idea of Kobe world in 2020, we've been told it's very unlikely that there can be a crowd at Kobe World Hall where the event has typically been held. Whereas on the flip side, if they put the show in Kobe Sambo Hall with the guidelines that have been given, there is a realistic chance they could have close to a full capacity, if not a full capacity at Kobe Sambo Hall. That is what somebody that lives in Japan was explaining to us. So, you are 100% right that Yoshino's final match will have Ata involved in some way, or at least Yoshino's final singles match, because I could see them doing a thing where, you know, it's Ata versus Yoshino on a pay-per-view, and then you come to Cork and Hall, and you do your big Yoshino farewell, and everybody cries, and it'll be a beautiful moment. That is a very realistic possibility of what will happen, because ultimately Ata will be involved, and if he doesn't, there is a major flaw in the story that is being told there. What I wonder is just with the fact that it's been so tough to build any stories because there haven't been any shows. And for the fact that Kobe World and Kobe World Hall at 100% capacity is going to be impossible this year, I do wonder if there is an audible in play, something that would be akin to the old Toriumon shows, which there has been a lot of that with the old El Numero Uno format, the increase of Battle Royals, the fact that Ultimo Dragon is now in the company, which I still can't get over even a year after he debuted now, or close to a year. There has only been one 
Kobe World that has not been headlined by an Open the Dreamgate Championship match. That was Kobe World 2006 when Shima and Magnitude Kichiwada had a no ropes match. But if you look at the Toriyuman Anniversario show from 2002, it is headlined by a trios, a three-way trios match with Crazy Max, M2K, and the Toriyuman Seki Gun of Dragon Kid, Masaki Mochizuki, and Ryo Saito. I do wonder if that is now a possibility, if they are not going to give Ata that Dreamgate shot, they're going to give him his big match against Yoshino at a later date, and at World they do some sort of Toriyaman versus Drangate versus R.E.D. nine-man match to headline the show. Is Do you think that is a realistic possibility at all? I think that having the big uh, three-way six-man tag is probably... And especially like the idea that this really hasn't happened in this feud so far. There's a lot to be done there. And, you know, there are a lot of people that I find kind of interesting right now in the wrestling industry, especially over the last three months that have not shown up in places that I feel like need might end up showing up in that, in that capacity. I hope I'm not being too vague or people understand who I'm talking about, but I could see that happen. And, and if that happens, no better way for someone to make a appearance than to be in that match so it's interesting like i mean again like a a doi yoshino ultimo versus yamato kz dragon daya versus you know eta uh hulk shimizu like that is enough star power in my opinion to headlined an altered kobe world to me that would make sense if that's the direction they go because yeah. You know, full capacity, half capacity, no capacity. Actually, no capacity is different because the no capacity Kobe Sambo Hall crowd that is made up of the Dragon Gate roster is actually hotter than most of the <laughs> Kobe Sambo Hall crowds that we get anyways. So if it's a no capacity show, hell, do the Dreamgate match. That will be a red hot crowd. Kiki Horikuchi but... will be all over that getting that. <laughs> It would be incredible, but if you're in some half-capacity setting or you're in Sambo Hall where everybody's going to be in mask and it's going to be still you're, you're re-emerging into this new world. Right. I mean, a Dreamgate match would be good. I firmly believe that a Doi versus Ata Dreamgate match is fine, but I find the idea of the nine-man tag to be far more entertaining and appealing and interesting in this environment because to go forth and act like everything is normal and to say oh well it's it's Kobe world we have a dreamgate match at the top of the card like yes that's fine i understand the sentiment behind that but we've lost out on 4 months of story now i mean this was dreamgate was set up at the beginning of the year to have what was going to be a hallmark landmark story that was going to take place for likely the entire calendar year if not longer and we just missed i mean we missed out on a dead or alive cage match that was going to have insane ramifications we don't know what they were but with a story of this magnitude like they were going to load up dead or alive and that just never happened and now that we are under the assumption that there'll be shows with crowds during the back half of the year i think kickstarting whatever story is left to be told with this feud should be done. It should be headlining the alternate state of Kobe world. And judging from the Ata promo, because there's no reason to speculate if Ata says, yes, I want the title match at Kobe world because then it's set and we're done talking about it. But Ata wasn't saying that. And it was 
weird to me that he was dancing around directly wanting to challenge for the title. Maybe the ship service and his character's version of being a little deceptive, but I didn't see it that way. It seemed like they were trying to avoid doing an Ata versus Doi match. Right. Yeah. No. And I think that's a fair thing to say. And I would even argue, let's not just stick at a nine man. I would make it a 12 person tag because you left out a uh, Binkei dragon kid and i don't know i'm just gonna throw a name out here who i haven't seen around that i think would be very interesting to come in and would really help out red sushi kondo yes um that is a possibility it is weird to to think well i guess i said dragon dia forgetting that he was one third of the triangle gate yeah. champion because i i specifically didn't mention ben k because i was like oh we need a triangle gate match but i forgot that ben k is also holding a title right now and there's Again, you know, Shuji Kondo, to our knowledge, was supposed to be in King of Gate this year. I, that has been said publicly at this point that Kondo was going to be, or at least the plan was for him to be involved in the tournament. So it seems like Kondo is coming back in some way. We obviously still have Shun Skywalker and Yuki Yoshioka in Mexico. Th- that's that's the other insane thing about this year. Right, yeah. That, that Skywalker <laughs> and Yoshioka are trapped in Mexico, but think about how good Dragon Gate has been under these circumstances without Shun Skywalker, who was far and away the best worker in the company last year. Like, that is a testament to just how good this roster is, that they took away their in-ring ace, not their company ace, but their in-ring home run hitter, and the match quality, given the circumstances, remember, January and February were really hot months for this company, and they were doing it without Skywalker, which I thought was super impressive. So there's new talent that could enter the fold. I mean, we're we're getting a better understanding of what's to come in terms of scheduling and shows, but at the same time, we have no idea what is going to be on these shows, and it is incredibly exciting. It is a little bit concerning given the focus on Ata and his inability to constantly deliver in the clutch, but things are happening and stories are being told and that feels good. That feels new because we went so many months without that. One last thing about, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. They held a lot in the tank in this finals match. Ata did not really go for some of his crazier stuff. We did not. We had a tease for a muscular bomb. It was not hit, and Doi does the Bakatari sliding kick hitch match. So, like, there's still a lot that they left back in the tank. So, I could still see the fact that this could be a Dreamgate match coming up at Pseudo Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival. Yes, just, just to play devil's is, advocate there. Well, and you're you will end up being right. It will shock me zero percent. It is expected that Doi versus Ata will headline Kobe World. I just would find it to be far more interesting if they went in a different direction. Yeah. Because you're right, there's so much more left to the tank. I mean, the interesting parts of the Doi versus Ata match was the fact that Ata had been cleaning everybody's clock with the Imperial Uno super kick throughout the tournament. And then when he wrestled Doi, he went to the numero uno arm submission, which, you know, he was tearing up Akira Tozawa and Shingo Takagi's shoulder with that move five years ago. And over the past year or two, it had kind of taken a backseat to the super kick that he had perfected. And now you see Doi tapping to this this arm submission that hadn't been used in a long time. And it just feels like there's so much more than can play off with that. Again, the muscular bomb is still in play like there, there will be a chapter two, or at least there should be, with Doi and Ata in this context. I just feel like, given the circumstances of the globe, 
it would be very on brand of Dragon Gate, and I think it would be very interesting if they didn't directly go to that match. No, I think that's really fair to say. And one of the things that I think that they did incredibly, uh, an incredibly smart move, and this is just a plea for this, whatever this show is going to be, I think one of the best things they did was doing it live on YouTube. Like doing a three-way nine-man tag as the main event of like your first crowd show back, I think would be the... that that would be such a big thing because there was a kind of like a peak up when that show happened on YouTube, right? Like it wasn't just me noticing that. Like no, there, there was there was interest there because people were able to watch a show with English commentary, right? That's good enough for most people. And as as I talk about constantly in my reviews, there is no higher bar in wrestling than the house style of Dragon Gate because. A regular six-man tag in this company. I mean, we're talking about a three-and-a-half, three-and-three-quarters, four-star six-man tag in Dragon Gate. If you put that match anywhere else in the world, we are talking about match of the year contender. I mean, it's just the working standard is so high. It's the Do-Fixer versus Blood Generation Supercard of Honor match. That's not the best Do-Fixer versus Blood Generation match, but it was transported into a universe where they're not as familiar with those moves. There is no company on Earth that can do the nine-man trios match at all, but let alone to the crispness and the working standard that Drangate has and as new or as companies return to the fray and as we now we went months without a ton of content and we are about to get flooded with <laughs> matches and crowds and a bunch of mediocre stuff in front of half capacity buildings which is not the wrestler's fault but that's that's what it's going to be it's not going to be the same right away but if Drangate wants any sort of market share at least among western fans if they want their attention the nine-man tag is the way to go because no other company on Earth can even attempt to duplicate what they do in those matches. And having that on a venue and having that freely available, I think, would be a, a big home run for them as well. Any other thoughts you have of the tournament? We didn't really touch on the semifinals at all where Doi got his return win against Ishida and Yamato lost to Ada. I thought that, you know, that they came out of this tournament with, like, three good semifinals and finals matches and i was pretty happy with like the end ring product after some really dire things i think like the last two weeks they've probably put together some of the stronger weekends of the tournament so if you haven't seen any king of gate yet if you've been afraid to dip your toes under the water because the voices of wrestling flagship guys haven't been as positive on king of gate and we haven't loved every second of it if you've kind of held off but you want to check some of the stuff out it's real simple. Watch night nine and night 10. Watch the semifinals, watch the rookie tag that starts that show, and then watch the finals, which is night 10. Because the semifinals, it's the lesser of the two Doi versus Ishida matches. I thought this match was just okay after they had a great match the week before. But Ata versus Yamato. I mean, we, Mike and I, have been responsible for a lot of anti-Yamato sentiment. <laughs> Over the past two and a half years, and it is granted, I stand by most of that, because, God, I hated him in 2017. I look at some of those cards now for research stuff, and I have zero memory of these Yamato matches. I know I watched them and reviewed them, but, God, I have no memory of them. But Yamato was so 
good in this tournament. If there was an MVP for King of Gate this year, it's Yamato, because I gave his match with Ryo Saito in the opening round three and three quarters. I gave his KZ match three and three quarters. His Diamante match was fine. I mean, the cards were stacked against him there. And then against H.I. gave him three and three quarters as well. He was in my best three matches of the tournament, with the fourth match being Ata versus Doi in the finals. But Yamato, so damn good. And he and Ata, who had not had real singles matches against one another, man, they delivered. I want to see that match in front of a crowd, in front of people. I think coming away from this tournament, I want more Yamato versus Eita, and I want more Dragon Daya versus Eita. I think those are two very interesting and very fresh matchups. Yeah. I, I So your MVP is Yamato. My MVP is another person that we really didn't touch on at all on this episode so far, and that's Kaido Ishida. I thought that even though this was a step back from their block final match, I feel like that Kaido Ishida has put a step forward where where we were talking privately and we had the moment of, oh my God, Kaido Ishida is only 24. And he's already someone that I feel like, as we've talked on previous updates, his ceiling has now gone up so sky high. And especially just like this, he did not have a bad match this tournament. He did not have the the tough out that Yamato had with uh, Diamante. And I felt like he just had nonstop bangers. And I think we're looking at a guy now, and we're actually looking at a unit now that R.E.D. came into basically after the Christmas surprise of the two demons, trying to figure out what they're going to be and what position is going to be. They're leaving King of Gate now with Ada, at least, truly getting pushed like a number one heel. And then Kaido Ishida being like his like serial killer number two. And I think that's incredibly exciting. Like, I'm really excited to see what the remainder of this Brave Gate run is going to be for Kaido Ishida and what he's going to do afterwards. I was reading some archives of mine at VoicesOfWrestling.com, some old Dragon Gate reviews a few days ago, which, by the way, don't do. Don't, if it's published by me before 2019, do not read it. Same goes for this podcast. Don't listen to any episodes before, like, last year's Kobe World Preview, because the show, Mike was doing a great job for a while any episode I was on before that, I'm sure I was actively dragging it down. But I went back and read some uh, abysmal writing because I wanted to get the feeling on on what my thoughts were of Kaito Ishida at the time that he debuted. Because I remember loving Yamamura, and then Yamamura had the big breakout match against Shimizu at the February 2017 and Hall show. And then it became Yamamura Mania for like two months before he got hurt, unfortunately. But I forgot that Ishida was an incredibly touted prospect as well, and and he had really started to find himself as a worker. And then, much like the rest of his class, whether it be a UT or a Dragon Daya, who were all lumped into that rookie class last year, despite maybe some nefarious rookie standing uh, in their in terms of their lineage. But Kaito Ishida got hurt and then came back and figured it out, and he is now continuing to evolve in a way, and we talked about this a little bit last week, in a way that I just never expected Kaito Ishida to get it and to be over to this degree and to be this entertaining as both a wrestler and as a character. And Mike brought it up to me that watching this rematch with Naruki Doi, it felt like the seeds were being planted for Ishida to eventually take over a heel unit and lead them in the future. Because I think... For a long time, 
not necessarily comparing the charisma of the two, but I had looked at Ishida as someone like a Susumu Yokosuka, where it's like, okay, I know what that guy is. That's kind of the work rate guy of the group. He's always going to have good matches, and that's going to be his role. But you now have to look at Kaito Ishida as an M2K era Masaki Mochizuki. I mean, yeah, he is jumping out to me call. as someone that can that can lead units, that can lead the company. And it's so exciting to see him in that role because I never, and I loved Ishida when he debuted, I never would have imagined he would be this good. And it's something that is, I was taken aback by how young he was when we were talking. And did I did, only 24, like you said, turns 25 in December. Like, this run has been the thing that, like, now in retrospect, he really was like a teenager, young adult doing things. He feels like a, he still has the youth on his side, which is something that the company will need as we have talked about Kobe World 2025, like him as like this. But he feels like an evil man now versus being a kick boy. And I think that's really exciting. Speaking of young guys. Oh, boys, let's get into this. So we had two rookies debut here. I'm looking at their profiles on the Gaiora site right now. And other than Fujikawa, I just learned that the three other guys, Kabune um, and Kamai and Kakuta, are all younger than me, which sucks. <laughs> Welcome to uh, my life, Case. Welcome to my life. That bums me out. But, <laughs> oh boy, that is going to take a minute to recover from. But This is a the, moment in your life, Case. This is a moment. Know, that... I, I felt that way watching Zion last year in March Madness, where it's like, oh, he's amazing. Like, he's doing all of these things, and he carries himself like a grown man, and he has these athletic feats. Oh, how old is he? Oh, he's 18? Cool. No, that's good. And how much did he sign uh, the shoe contract for? Oh, he's a 19-year-old walking around with $100 million? No, that's cool, man. I mean, that's good. Like, I'm happy for him. But, oh, that sucks. Steph Curry was that for me. (laughs) Oh, I have liked Steph since uh, his Davidson days. And I've hated him because of his (laughs) Davidson days. But We'll have a separate Steph Curry podcast. I have been right about him all along, and historically he is underrated. And if you have issues with that statement, tweet me at underscore in your case. But Mike, what about these Drangate rookies? So this was the uh, bonus match, which was Madoka Kakuda and Sura Fuchikawa's debut on the uh, first night which i was kind of surprised that they, that they didn't have this as like they put this up with the finals they want to make the finals their own thing i thought that that might have been the, the case that they were going to do the semifinals and then bonus match and finals but this was a part of the june 6 release where they faced off against the big rookies from last year and kento kabune and takedo kamai and kamai got a win with with the move that i think is i'm still wrapping my head around it was a they call it a modified Boston Crab, which is what it kind of was. Be like chicken wings, uh, Sora Fujikawa's arm and does a little bit of a cloverleaf action with his ankles. Like I've watched it now, this match now twice. They won in nine minutes and forty seven seconds. We now have a genuine rivalry now at the bottom of the cards that really wasn't around for class of twenty sixteen of Hyo, um, Shun Skywalker and Benkei, we do have like this kind of like now we have like these two pairs of guys. And now we're going to see it like this go on here. And boy, this was interesting because you get Kento Kabune, who is a you, you liken him to Naruki Doi. And we have Takedo Kamai, who is probably about the size of he's bigger than UT, but he's like Dragon Kid size against Matoka Kakuda, who 
510 i think i think 510 is probably a realistic thing i think i saw like his height in centimeters and was like listed as five foot nine but he looked a little taller than that and sura fujikawa who not much shorter than him and they just had like 10 minutes of them just chopping the crap out of each other so i i watched this match twice i watched it once for the review when i was watching it very intently and then i i went back today and i watched it and the same thing jumped out to me on the second viewing as it did the first which is Madoka Kakuta gets a hot tag in this match, which is essentially his tag in is the first bits of his career. And he explodes off of the ropes and hits this running bicycle kick. And I was sold. I mean, this kid just jumps off of the page in a way. And it is a testament to the Dragon Gate Dojo, which has consistently not only pushed out quality talent, but has pushed out quality talent, and they are talented as soon as they de- as soon as they debut. Now, granted, their methods of training, their methods of debuting guys, a little bit different than the traditional Noah All Japan. I would say Noah, but when was their last dojo graduate? I guess their champion, but I don't like him, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, or like New Japan, where you're in tights and you're doing everyone's kind of the same thing for up exactly. until your excursion. Yeah, exactly. Whereas here, uh, the move set has increased. You're allowed to have a little bit of a look. Um, although that they, they, you know, like Kota Minora debuted in black tights, but then two months later had gear and had moves and was able to evolve rather quickly. These guys came into the company with gear, with moves. And just with a fire that is not exclusive to the young boy persona and the young boy style of wrestling, this struck me as fire that is going to translate throughout their entire careers. And we know, there's the thing, Kakuta and his partner here, Sora Fujikawa, or yeah, Fujikawa, they were supposed to debut earlier in the year. So they're, they're... they were supposed to be even closer to the Kabune and Kamai debut, and they debuted at the end of December last year. And Mike, we both know there's more people in the dojo. There is another army of young wrestlers coming up right now. And it's just like how we talked about in 2015, 2016, where it was Shimizu and T-Hawk and Eita and Lindemann and Ishida and Yamamura. And we're like, Dragon Gate's set for the next 10 years. Like, they've got their guys. And then Shimizu became Kevin Nash. Yamamura got hurt, T-Hawk and Lindemann left, Ata became whatever the hell he is, and then Ishida <laughs> has kind of figured it out. But we're now in that same position where it's Kota Minora, and it's Dragon Daya, and it's Shun Skywalker, and it's Kento Kabune, Taketo Kamai, Madoka Kakuta, and Sora Fujikawa. And if this match doesn't get you excited about the prospects and the possibilities of what is to come in this company, then I do not know what to tell you. Because this, you know, I, I gave this match three and a quarter stars. It was it was fine in the grand scheme of things. But this is Fujikawa and Kakuta's debut match. And they looked so comfortable in the ring. And it was so delightful to see. And we have that great picture up at Open VoiceGate on Twitter of a, a captain that says the future is bright. And it's these four chopping away at one another. And I just have a feeling that picture is going to stay with us as we move into the next three, the next five, the next decade of this company. That is going to be a picture that is going to be burned into our brains because, you know, guys can get hurt. Guys can leave. Things are going to change. But if you look at them on the surface level right now and the talent they displayed in this match, 
my God, the future is bright for this company. And it's one of those things that when when we talk about Dragon Gate, and I think that this is something that does not necessarily get enough credit for, Dragon Gate turns out people who are ready for the roster, who are ready for big roles, and are ready to just be interjected at like such a level that, I mean, I, I've, I have something that I, I, I clued in case a little bit ago where I write down all of the uh, debuts and all the things with this. Since 2015, including these five guys, which I've not updated for, they have 15 new people on the roster. Sadly, Yamamura is done. Katsumi Takashida had to retire. But that's still 13 people who are still in the roster. And you look at this, Benkei, former Dreamgate champion that he had his establishment. Shun Skywalker and Yuki Ushioka on excursion. Hyo's a factor now. I mean, he's not necessarily going to be a world beater, but he's he's back at it. And then you have Dragon Daya, Strong Machine J. You have Kobune and Kamai. We have um, Masahiro Inoue, who showed up at the Torimon reunion thing, who has not had matches since. And then we know that more is coming, more is coming. You look at this promotion. This is a promotion where there are some big age gaps and th- some things that is going to change over the next decade. But you look at how many how many people they are turning out and how the system is producing things. This is the part of wrestling I really love, Case. I love watching these wrestlers develop. I love seeing uh, Madoka Kakuda and Sora Fujikawa's first match and just like looking and seeing what is the possibilities with you. Like, how are you going to grow? How are you going to change throughout your career? And it's just incredibly exciting to have a match like this. It's, it's something worth going back and revisiting. And it's something that I'm very glad that this is a kind of match that probably would have happened maybe at a Kobe Sambo Hall show, maybe at Hakata at across Fukuoka. But having this like here in this context and on and on this stage with how weird the world in it is, being able to like have this kind of stage just for these four guys, I felt like it is something that could be very special. Yeah, it was it was a delightful match. It was one of those that kind of made this entire King of Gate process worth it. Like just having this match to me justified the entire tournament's existence this year. Because this was this was so fun, and it's exactly that. I love the fact that in Dragon Gate you are able to follow these guys from the beginning. I mean, I will still have a place in my heart for L. Lindemann, although he has become nothing more than DDT comedy fodder. Like, I remember reviewing Lindemann's first match as Yuga Hayashi and being like, oh yeah, that's that's going to be a guy like that. He will be successful in the wrestling industry and, and factors beyond his control have prevented that to some extent, but your Skywalkers and your menorahs and your Yoshioka's like these guys, if they stay healthy and they are able to control some uncontrollables, which is an impossible task, but uh, you know, it's just, they have the talent to become stars. And briefly, if you are interested in watching more debut matches, seeing this lineage, uh, if you are a Drangate Network subscriber right now, the the Drangate Network has been uploading the You Were Young Then series, which is people's debut matches. Now, they've been doing these once a week. They did troll us with the last update. Last week's updates were Strong Machine J and Dragon Daya, both of which were matches already on the network. <laughs> And I was livid 
when I saw that these were the matches they uploaded, because besides that, like the BB Hulk debut against Asuma Yokosuka and the Ben K debut, which was at a at a next show against T-Hawk, which I ha- have been keeping a file on my computer of what I thought was the earliest Ben K footage we had. Dragon Gate Network threw me a bone and said, no, here is his debut. There's so much fun stuff on these shows. There's a Punch Tamanaga match from a Bayuden show, which I didn't realize that Dragon Gate had the right to upload that footage. And now it makes me say, hey, why don't you upload the damn shows? Um, but there's there's so much good stuff here. And it is just one of those things. Dragon Gate, they have their flaws. They have their issues. But they nail debuts. And it is so exciting when new talent enters the fray. I completely forgot there was a kid that debuted at the Torimon show. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that because I it just spaced it. There's so much talent here, and it is so exciting. And there's more to come. I know that there are people in the dojo. Like, they didn't completely shut down during the off period. They were still training the, the trainees there, at least for the people who still live in the dojo. So there should be some real exciting stuff. And, and I'm stoked to see, like, we haven't really even, like, scratched the surface with someone like Madoka Kadoka. You know, Kikut. I was, I'm, I got the name right when I was pronouncing it before. Madoka Kakuda. I think that he has something really interesting to watch. I mentioned to see Sora Fujikawa and see how he kind of evolves with that. There's They've just... had one match. That's the thing. Like, yeah, we're, we're planning these guys' careers out off of one match, and that is, I mean, it is because you know Mike and I are who we are, and we're fanatical, and and we like this product so much, but also because there's so much potential and there's so much talent in that one match. That you can't help but get excited about this. Yeah, and you're we've already seen like someone like Kabune who they already think pretty highly of. Kame is someone that like I didn't he must have there must have been like a Yave day that he picked up that hole. And it's just gonna be interesting to watch them to develop thoroughly. And maybe if, if there's still more stuff in the can that they're gonna pull out before we have live shows, I would love to see what these four guys would do against regular roster members and see how they develop. But case we do have two more matches that they are putting out on the network this weekend that I don't know if you caught this earlier, but we have a match coming up on the 13th of a mat and we have an all Japan world junior heavyweight championship match on the 14th. Mike, not only did I catch this, I tweeted it out from our account at open voice gate before there was an English translation. I caught it on the Japanese site this morning and posted it because <laughs> I am so committed to the craft. Now, yes, there's as of now, and I hope there's more added to these shows. But if there's not, if it's just the two matches, Mike and I will talk about it on audio next week, and there will not be a written review. If they add more matches to these, I'll I'll do a write-up. But as of right now, it's just June 13th. There's a sixth man between Jason Lee, UT, and OG Shiba against Yasuke Santamaria, Kota Minora, and Hoho Loon. And then on the 14th, the All Japan Junior Heavyweight title match that Mike mentioned, Susumu Yokosuka against Hokuta Omore who I know nothing about. Yeah, uh, I'm going to f- be honest with you all. I don't watch All Japan <laughs> other than nope. like like this. So I know that Hikaru Sato was a match that they had previously set for a Dragon Gate show that they did I thought it was All a Japan. translation error when I first read it. I assumed it was Sato, and then I ran to Cage Match. Because again, my I mean, I have a thing with Kento Miyahara where I think he's good but overrated. I don't watch a ton of All Japan, and my big blinds about this year has been Susumu's run there so when I saw this name I was like I think that's somebody but I also think it could be a Google Translate error but no it is Hakuto Amore Amori um so it's a it's a Susumu singles match it's guaranteed to be good at least but as of now we just have those two matches on the cards 
and I'm really hoping that that means that they have more stuff out of the can because the next show that they have on the schedule because of how cancellations have been and how the company's opening up technically is Kobe World. That's the last one they have on the schedule, and we'll see how that changes between them. I'm certain that this this is a situation in flux. This is something that's still going to be moving. And yes, he did fight Hikaru Sato on a match last month. So Yeah, that was at an old pan show. I heard that match was very good. I just have not seen that. Um, it, it should be noted that Drangate missed the cutoff day on Cork and Hall events by one day. They had their July Cork and scheduled on the 9th. Cork and reopens on the 10th. So it is unfortunate that they missed out by by such a small period of time there. I am assuming that we will continue to have weekend uploads like this until a more definitive schedule is laid out. But we do not know for sure. But we at least know that if you're listening to this when it comes out, which is likely June 11th, then on June 13th and June 14th, you have more Drangate content to consume. Yeah, and I think that's probably going to do it for us here on this update. Uh, Case, anything you, you want to talk about or plug before we get out of here? Uh, no, I mentioned the uh, the Drangate Network rookie series they're doing, and then the Drangate Network, I mean, Mike and I should do a better job of discussing this, but they are there. There is a nice library of Toriumon classics there, both the single match files. And then they are up to May and June of 2001 in the Vamanos Amigos uh, TV series. So you have at this point, the first two years of Toriumon available on the network and if that's something you're interested in diving into but you have questions you can always reach out to me at underscore in your case or on the open the voice get account at open voice gate and mike and i will try to get back to you because we want people watching this stuff uh but i don't know how many people are taking advantage of the archives which is unfortunate because there was some really really good stuff in here and it's Something for like Case and I, as we've watched it on different means, now having the ability to see the stuff remastered from the originals is really cool as well. Being able to see some of the really historic Torimon matches that in previous, you get the DVD copy or your tape, and it'll be second or third gen and have some levels of degradation. Now it's there, upscaled, and it's really remarkable stuff. If we don't get a whole lot of matches coming up over the next few weeks, we'll probably pick something from the archive to talk about. I think that's what we should do, Case. Yes, I am all in favor of that. But yeah, you can find me at Fujiheya on Twitter. And again, follow us on Twitter at Open VoiceGate. But until next time, take care, everyone. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.